1: you return that I might live In my
2: Father's house. Listen, God has done everything to save us To help us to be an overcomer Listen, it's true God has done everything to save you To help you to be an overcomer So I want to encourage you, rebellion against him will only lead to your undoing and destruction.
0: Rebellion against the God who created the universe and holds its future in his hands is fruitless. But as easily as he could have just wiped all of us out and started again, he's full of love and grace for even the most rebellious of us. He wants you to choose him out of gratitude, not fear. As Pastor Mike continues our study of the book of Revelation in today's message, he'll challenge anyone listening to examine your heart. And if you've been resisting Jesus, it's time to embrace him and accept his love. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, as he continues his message, The Glorious Appearing. My heart
1: not be troubled, I remember.
2: Here, it is the fulfillment of that great messianic prophecy that's recorded for us in the prophet Isaiah in chapter 11 in verse uh, 4. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And again, this is portraying the second coming and the result of that. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips... He shall slay the wicked. That is by his word. So, the sharp sword, the sharp two edged sword, the word of God. Remember, that's the way that the word is depicted first in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 4, in verse 12. Here's another cross reference for you. For the word of God is alive and is powerful. You know, let me just stop there for a moment. I want you to think about that. Is alive. What a beautiful way to describe the word. You know, you can't sit in a service like this one, and if you really have a heart to want to know God and serve God, where the word of God is going forth across the pulpit, you make a connection with it uh, through the ministry and the operation of the Holy Spirit, where it doesn't produce some kind of effect within your life. That's the capacity that God's word has upon the hearer. And that's exactly why we place such a high premium upon the study and the teaching of the Word of God. Right? We need to regularly digest and eat the Word of God every day. The transforming effect that it has upon the hearer. It's alive. There's nothing like this in the entire universe. The Word of God. How it powerfully transforms the hearer into the image of God's own Son, Jesus Christ. Right? conforming us into the image, getting the work that God wants to do within our lives and through our lives. So for the word of God is alive and is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Now why is it depicted in that way? Because it pierces even to the division of the soul and the spirit. It cuts through all of the nonsense, all of the things that are untrue. You know, all of the the philosophies and the, and the attitudes of mankind, the mores of our society, those things that are against the things of God and the teachings of God. Only the Word of God has that capacity. It just cuts through all of those things. All of the things that are false, all of the things that are untrue, all of the things that might be popular and accepted you know, by man. The philosophies of our world today. Only the Word of God has that capacity. And of the joints and the marrow and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our uh, hearts. And so, again, once again, as I've already suggested, Jesus isn't engaging in this battle, throwing punches. He just speaks the word, and his enemies are soundly defeated. Now, remember, he demonstrated this sort of authority before in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when he instructed the disciples to, wa- to watch him pray? Remember the prayer that he prayed? If there be any other way that this cup could pass from my lips, but nevertheless not my will, but thine be done. This took place the night before he was taken and, and cruelly uh, dealt with and ultimately crucified. Remember he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. They, he came in with a company, it's been suggested of over 200 men who were armed with clubs and swords. I don't know what they were expecting. They were, going, you know, they were only going to, to take one man, who was Jesus. Remember, they were, uh, they were sent uh, by the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. And uh, so a company of 200 men went into the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, there Jesus stood alone. The other disciples had fallen asleep. And whoever led this procession of soldiers asked Jesus the question, Are you Jesus? And Jesus responded and said, I am. And as he responded and said, I am he, the whole company of at least 200 men, we are told, in John's Gospel in chapter 18 in verse 6, fell backward and fell to the ground. Oh, there's power in that name. Jesus said, I am he. You know, and, and that, think about that, that word, I am. Isn't that the way that God had spoken to Moses out of the burning, fiery bush in the Old Testament? When uh, Moses asked the question, Who shall, referring to the instructions that had been just given him to go back to Pharaoh to demand that he let God's people go, and Moses asked the question, uh, as God spoke to him out of that burning, fiery bush, who shall, who shall I say sent me? And God responded and said, Say that I am sent you. Oh, there's power in that name. I am. You fill in the blank. I am whatever you have need of. I am your healer. I am your provider. I am your salvation. I am your protector. And the list goes on and on and on. But when Jesus responded to that question, I am he, all 200 of them, went backward and fell to the ground. I've gone a long way to make the point there's power in that name. And just simply by the word that Jesus spoke, his enemies were soundly defeated. Our commander-in-chief has never resorted to the use of carnal weapons. And notice here, he is the only one who engages in this conflict. It is he who smites the nations. Yes, we come back with him on those white horses as well, but we don't even engage in the battle. We just view the battle. Now, this is quite interesting and quite different because most battles are fought by the armies while the general directs them from a vantage point. But not this one, right? Jesus is the central figure here. He alone is in control. So what do we take away from this? Well, think about this. All of the conflicts that we have to deal with in our own life's experience, all of the enemies that we have to contend with that need to be defeated, well, why don't we just do this? Why don't we just step aside and let Jesus fight your battles for you? I think that's that's exactly what we should take away from this. This is one of the great lessons that we can learn here from what's being uh, depicted. Now, as he goes forth, John notices that upon his garments in the region of the thigh, there's a name written, notice there in verse 16, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As the absolute sovereign ruler of the earth, he now presents himself as such. This is His official title. It belongs to Him and Him alone. In the book of Isaiah, you know, I didn't give this as a cross-reference, so I'm going to ask you to do a little work. So if you quickly turn with me in your Bible to the book of Isaiah in chapter 9, in verses 6 and 7, this is a verse of Scripture that's often and frequently used during Christmas uh, depicting Jesus you know, born in a stable and in a manger and, you know, to remind us of his birth. In Isaiah chapter 9, in verses 6 and 7, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the greatest gift that has ever been given to mankind. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And I think, I believe that this is a reference to this moment that we're reading about here in the book of Revelation. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so, he himself will rule them, what does it say there, with the rod of iron. Now, what does this suggest to us? He will rule over them with the rod of iron. Now, in one of the classic commentaries on the book of Revelation by a fellow whose name was Joseph Seiss, and it's interesting, all of the other commentaries, most of the other commentaries that have ever been written on this particular book of the Bible, often refers to and quotes from Seiss's uh, commentary. Most other commentators refer to Seiss. Now, Seiss, Joseph Seiss, referring to this event, that is, that when he comes back, he's going to rule with an, uh, a rod of iron, uh, says this It does not, and I quote, it does not mean the leavening of existing governments with Christian principles, the spiritual conversion of countries and empires, leaving them in existence and simply Christianizing them so as to exhibit something of Christ's spirit in their administrations, but rather the total displacement of all this world's sovereigns and governments the taking of all dominion and authority out of their hands and putting it in the hands of Jesus as the true and only king of the uh, world. And so, he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. You know, this is the complete fulfillment of what is recorded for us in the book of Psalms in chapter 2 and also, once again, in chapter 24. Now that brings us to our fourth and our final point, and that is the avenging Christ. Verses 17 through uh, 21. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Now this, again, is the, the... Uh, a reference to the Battle of Armageddon, the result of this uh, war that takes place. That you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. By the way, this is a company of those who have come to Palestine to fight against Jesus. Okay, who opposed uh, Christ's coming. And I saw the beast, that is the Antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him, Jesus, who sat on the horse and against his army. That would be us. Then the beast was captured, the Antichrist, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the Antichrist and those who worshipped his image. Remember that image that was uh, set up uh, in the rebuilt uh, temple there in the city of Jerusalem. We talked about that in one of our uh, past uh, study. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Folks, this is a literal place. This is a reference to hell. This is real. We should do everything. It's hot, folks. I mean, look at the way that it's being depicted here. It's a fire burning with primstone. Listen, we better do everything that we possibly could do to avoid it. And then finally in verse 21, And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him. What's that sword? The word of God, who sat on the horse, Jesus, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Okay, so... This is the depiction of all of Christ's enemies being vanquished at the Battle of Armageddon. These demon-inspired nations are thoroughly defeated. Remember in one of our uh, past studies, you know, quickly turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. Let's rehearse that one more uh, time. In Revelation chapter 14 and verse 20, notice there, uh, John is given a vision of this mass destruction that takes place in the valley of Megiddo where this battle ensues. Blood fills the basin of that valley for 200 miles and the depth of the blood is four feet deep or at the horse's bridle for 1,600 furlongs. So the blood Uh, the splattering up to the horse's uh, bridle, describing for us the tremendous carnage that actually takes place, the result of this uh, conflict. You see that there? So uh, it's quite a uh, grim uh, picture that's being painted here uh, for us. And then notice, let's go back to our text, uh, verses 17 and 18. Notice the vulturous fowls, This is a literal scene. The angel summons all birds of prey to eat the flesh of the slain. And so as the rulers of the earth converge on Jerusalem in their last strenuous effort to destroy the Jews, but their end comes suddenly with the descent of the king of kings. And as I've mentioned, this is a pretty grim uh, picture. These vultures devouring the flesh of hundreds of thousands of fighting men. This event, notice, is referred to as called the Supper of the Great God. Notice there in verse 17. So this is interesting because in this one chapter, in chapter 19, there are two suppers being depicted. One is the supper or the marriage supper of the, the Lamb and then the other is this uh, this supper of the great uh, God. One is of one joy which follows a wedding, and then the other is one of judgment which follows war. So I, I guess God, in His wisdom, is putting them alongside of one another so that we will choose which one of these events we're going to attend. And this is a, a this is a. Something to consider. You know, it's like God's putting them forward so that we'll make the, uh, the correct uh, choice. Which one will you participate in? Which one will you attend? Now, notice the vanquished foes, verses 19 through 21. This confederacy of evil forces under the leadership of the Antichrist and the false prophet, arrayed against Jesus... Now, how foolish is this to think that they can actually fight against God? I guess because of the fact that this confederacy was successful in subduing all of the earth, but now they they take it upon themselves to attack uh, heaven. How foolish uh, this is. The creature who fights against his creator is a fool. Well, listen, isn't that exactly what people today are guilty of? Hey, listen, in our day, God has been ordered off parts of his creation. Our own Supreme Court has banned him from our public schools. And we can expect the revolt against the Almighty to rise higher and higher until all the earth is hostile forces assemble themselves to defeat him. Listen, things are going to get worse. But notice now, judgment falls first upon the Antichrist and the false prophet. Notice there in verse uh, 20. Uh, Then the beast was captured, and within the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with uh, brimstone. Again, no natural weapon was used against them, just simply the word of God. You know, I, I, this is kind of interesting as well. Remember in uh, Revelation in chapter 13 and verse 4, where we had uh, talked about the Antichrist uh, being attacked, uh, there was actually a, uh, an attempt... Uh, what's, the, what's the word I want to use? Uh, there was an assassination attempt upon his life. And he actually died. But he comes back to life. Remember we talked about that. He's actually uh, imitating uh, Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. Which sort of just uh, uh, lent itself uh, to a rising platform for all of the people in the world to embrace him as their uh, leader. And upon his Uh, being brought back to life, the people on the world cried out, and who is, it's recorded for us in chapter 13 and verse 4, who is like unto the Antichrist, and who is able to make war with him? Now that was the general consensus, the popular opinion for those who lived upon the earth at that time. Well listen, here they have that uh, answer to that question. It's Jesus. He is the one who is able to make war against the Antichrist. So let the doom of these two individuals and their followers serve as a warning to all who are still rejecting Christ and rebelling against Him. Listen, God has done everything to save us, to help us to be an overcomer. Listen, it's true. God has done everything to save you, to help you to be an overcomer. So I want to encourage you, rebellion against Him will only lead to your undoing and destruction. You know, I think it would be wise to receive the counsel that's provided for us in the book of Isaiah in chapter 55 in verse 6, where there we are exhorted to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near.
1: In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long
0: That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. We're so glad you joined Pastor Mike today to study the book of Revelation, the final book in the Bible. If you'd like to listen to more, just visit our website, harvestnyc.org. You can also subscribe to the In My Father's House with Mike Fenizio podcast. Just search for it on your favorite podcast platform. We'd love for you to join us for worship this weekend at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet at 11 a.m., and you can reserve your seat online by clicking on contact at harvestnyc.org. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're just unable to attend in person right now, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time of studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch up with previous messages, check out our services through our Vimeo link, or you can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Links to all these are available at our website, HarvestNYC.org. Before we end our time with you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us in this ministry. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting In My Father's House? Donations of any size can be made securely on our website, HarvestNYC.org. Thanks for praying about this. And thanks for joining us today on In My Father's House.
1: Yeah.